Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Vilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. We're back. We're back, and we're in Catherine's flat, and it's uh, the morning, and Matt's got a hot drink, which tells you that he hasn't recovered from the uh, corrupting that we subjected him to during the Australian Open, and uh, yeah, we haven't recorded a tennis podcast in person for a couple of weeks when we were together for the Australian Open. Is everybody over jet lag? Yes. Yes. Yes, just about. Well, everybody's looking at me because I'm the one who's been really struggling with it. And uh, and just about now is uh, is when I'm starting to feel like a human being again. I'm over jet lagged because by the end of Australia, I was just on UK time. Yeah. So you you didn't ever really get to <laughs> no. with with Australian jet lag at no. all, did you? No, not the, at all. I mean, I was explaining to somebody on the, the last other day, day. I went to bed at seven a.m. The, so. the, the last three podcasts we recorded at four a.m. Didn't yeah. we? So. <laughs> Not very healthy, but we loved every minute of it. I hope you did too. Uh, we also, of course, as our most recent podcast, recorded our interview with uh, Marion Bartley, which um, uh, we've had some just lovely messages about. And, and it's, I mean, you know, I hope we did a decent job. I think we did. But the reason you, so many people were getting in touch was because her story and the way she told it influenced, impacted affected so many people who listened to it and I, I thought it would I thought when we asked her for the interview that we might get an incredible interview I, I still didn't think it would be like that um, we haven't had a chance to talk about it since but we we left that room Catherine we recorded it over the final weekend in Australia and we left that room almost not looking at each other not really knowing what to say and i mean obviously i was just praying it had recorded which is my immediate reaction after every interview but yeah i i felt i i felt pretty choked once or twice in in during the interview but you know you just want to let her carry on and tell her story and i think she just did it so beautifully um and it's it was lovely, I think, for everybody who might have wondered about her to to get the real the real story. Yeah, what a woman she is! Um, all the best interviewees, the best stories, are at once extraordinary and completely ordinary, aren't they? She is completely extraordinary, and her story is completely unique or largely unique. Not many people have won Wimbledon. Um, certainly not many people have won Wimbledon in her sort of circumstances and yet it's completely ordinary it's unrelatable and human it was just the 
just the most powerful, moving combination of the ordinary and extraordinary. And I think she's a heck of a woman. And uh, yeah, I worked with her for a long time. And that was the first time I, I really felt like I was getting to know her. And it was um, it was a joy, privilege. Mm. Matt, you heard it. And uh, and I think you, you liked what you heard as well, didn't you? Oh, yeah. It was one of those interviews that at once at one point made you tear up and then at another point you found yourself laughing you know and those are two such strong emotions and she brought out both of those sides uh, in in her story the way she talked about it um incredible and I, I really felt like there was so much I didn't know in that interview so much that I learned so much that people would have learned because you know it was like hearing it from her for the kind of first time in in her own words like that in such depth um yeah incredibly powerful i also think i mean she's a very extreme version of this but i think she's an example of how every player and every person who walks around has got a story of their own mm. and you know not everybody shares everything that they go through now uh, tennis players and people like that that are in the public eye we we know a certain part of them and she talked about the the instagram culture of of today's players and and uh, and what you know against what you don't know and what you think you know and i i I was struck that she had won wimbledon the same year as andy murray had won his wimbledon and so much gets talked about about murray and yet she retired straight afterwards and her story has been one that people have been confused by since then in in retirement and and she's been part of that because she was unable to to understand what was happening to her and would would tell in interviews an alternative version of events until she discovered herself and was able to recover and and eventually led to our interview but it it struck me that for so many years people have almost wanted to turn a blind eye to to Marion um not wanting to look her in the eye because of it, it's such an uncomfortable subject to talk about and I'm just really pleased now that you saw it you see her in the on the circuit again with a really great role coaching a current player and you know she's got so much to give also in the broadcasts um booth as well um and yeah it was just really lovely to to have a company for now yeah she's a smart cookie isn't she she's so intelligent that's mm. what struck me the most oh to be that fluent in a second language i mean i'd be able to say anything I mean, in a second language <laughs> with the level of fluency but with such a thick charming french accent still oh yeah, yeah getting your personality across in a second language is one it's of the hardest things to do absolutely rather than just coming out with stock phrases mm. that you know and yet she's able to you've you've i mean i feel like if she'd done that interview in french it, it probably she would have said the same mm. things you didn't feel like there was any language barrier at all she's completely able to break through it it's incredible yeah so marion last week if you haven't heard that interview go and have a listen um we're really pleased with, if, with if how Piers it came brosnan's out. listening yeah you should yeah. definitely go and have a listen <laughs> well pierce is regular <laughs> all former bonds yeah they're listening Go and listen. That are still of this world. So that if you're behind on the episodes... Which is not that many. All bonds, go and listen. Uh, somebody else who's making a, a return, Kim Clijsters, is uh, is due in action later today uh, for the first match of her latest comeback. I mean, it is her second comeback, isn't it? And she's going to be playing Garbini Magarutha. Initially, she was due to play 
Kiki Burton's and then Burton's won the title in St. Petersburg and has decided not to go to Dubai. I mean, it's an incredibly quick turnaround. We, we're we're sitting in Catherine's flat at the moment with uh, uh, Amanda Anisimova up against Barbora Stritseva and then later on it's Kleister's return. So we're not going to be able to talk about it because... It's not going to have happened before we finish the end of this this show. But so what we'll do is we'll we'll have a, a watch of it and talk about it next week. Um, but it's I've, I've I've really enjoyed seeing her the video shots that I've seen anyway of her just being around and just somebody who just looks as though she just loves it. Well, I was I mean we'll get on maybe to my little Fed Cup week that I had, but Kim Kleisters was there in in Belgium and she was absolutely involved with that team the belgian team she was she was sitting on the bench as one of the team members you you could tell that she'd been hitting with the players she'd been practicing with the players she you know she was involved she wasn't part of the team but she was right there and she looked just looked like she was loving it you could absolutely tell that she was ready to go um she'd obviously had that little injury setback that stopped her coming back in in melbourne in well, in australia certainly but yeah, she looks ready to go and, you know, who knows what, what we're going to see on the court. But just to see her looking so happy with this decision is is, is really uplifting. Yeah, I, would, I would say there are similarities is. actually with Federer in terms of just sheer love of mm. the whole thing, not just the hitting the balls. There are some players who put up with the the rigours of the circuit in order to play the tennis or in order to get the, the attention or because of the money. Those two... I've just always felt I just didn't love it all of it. Yeah, it's been lovely to see. Some, I mean, someone. I mean, obviously, it's all extremely fresh and and new, and maybe even a little bit of novelty to it at this stage. But somebody looking like they're enjoying the pre-tournament media, and that, that it's not a uh, something they have to endure as part of the job. Um, lots of uh, quotes and a couple of videos that uh, came out of her. I think it was actually yesterday that she did her pre-tournament media in Dubai. So one that um, Reem Abilil posted uh, on her social media of Kleister's talking about practicing with uh, practice sessions she'd had with Simona Halep. Um, she said it was a couple of hours long. It was set up by Darren Cahill, who obviously... Kim Kleister's knows very well, I assume, from when she was with Leighton Hewitt. Well, she didn't explicitly re- reference that, but she said, of course, I know him really well. And she went into so much detail. It was like she incorporated all of the follow-up questions in her answers. <laughs> She's, she, she gave real detail on what it's like when you find when you click with a practice partner when you click with another player that you you just know okay this is somebody I can have really good practices with and we're kind of on a wavelength they don't mind if you go for winners every now and then there's obviously all these dynamics and politics and sort of unwritten protocols about player interplayer practices that we never ever hear about and yeah, she just went into all this glorious detail about it. It's just so giving so much more than what was asked of her. And and I, I, I suspect it's not much down to novelty because that's what she was always known for that, wasn't she, when she was yeah. on the tour? So well, I her demeanour is the same. Yeah. When you look at the, the video of her with Sophia Kennan as a as a seven-year-old, I think she was, giving her that tour of, of Miami and the behind the scenes and then they were shown together walking around Dubai together with Kenan as the US, as the Australian Open champion with Kleisters of, of today. 
the demeanor is the same. Mm. The outlook, she's just a, one of those very easy to talk to and listen to people, I think. She's a, well, I, I, I've, I've commentated with her a couple of times, and she veers dramatically between being super engaged and loving every minute of it and almost being asleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's... I find that very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I did think, I know someone just like you. Um, um, and, and look, there's a lot of people, I mean, that we are, I'm, I'm leading us into the territory of very soon to be out of date comments here. Um, so perhaps we, we won't uh, foray too far down this road. But there's a lot of people just dismissing her comeback and saying, look, the, the game's moved on. Like, fair enough, if you want to have a go, if you feel like you've got unanswered questions, you just you just want to know whether it would have been possible, but are dis- dismissing any chance of a realistic comeback. Well, look, who knows? But the impression we got from Marion Bartley in that interview is she doesn't think the game has moved on very much, does mm. she? She thinks in, in some ways it's it's gone backwards I mean and maybe that's maybe that's secretly what every player thinks you know th- people during my era, era it's yeah. like you know all oh, my school really went downhill after I do I, I do <laughs> look and, and I I didn't take Marion to task on this because I have no I have no alternative theory that can stand up to scrutiny because I've not played the sport but I I've heard Marit Safin talk like that over the years and I do and they may be right they may be the ones that are right but I do wonder whether you you are looking at it through a slightly different lens because of your own experience. Yeah, sure. And I do think there's something in there. But Marion was talking about the work ethic off the court, wasn't she? The level of yes, time put in, which I, I, I'm perhaps reaching here, but probably wasn't what Marit Safin was talking about. No. Maybe. <laughs> and and Marit uh, and, um, and Kafelnikov, I've heard do this as well. They talk about the players they used to have to beat in order to get to a semi final or whatever it might have been. They felt that the depth of, mm. of competitor was that much stronger. And, and Marion talked in those terms as well when she talked about players like Kleisters and Enan and the Williams sisters and Davenport and Mary Pierce and all these sort of players that you'd have to overcome. I think maybe. Maybe there's there's not an appreciation of just how strong the depth is as well these days, but the the work ethic side of it, I I definitely feel. I mean, that, that's what Marion felt very strongly about. She can compare like for like because she's seen she's seeing both. But as as regards Kleisters is concerned, I'd be surprised if the ball striking mm. has moved on to a point where she can't cope. I really would be surprised about that because she hit a big ball. It wasn't like Leighton Hewitt, who, relatively speaking, looked like he was just playing with a, a different arsenal of, of, of weaponry. I think we don't know about a movement until we see a play. You'll, you'll have maybe seen this by now and, and know that from one example. I think the, the, it's, the, it's the coming back again match after match that that is the the big unknown and the big test for somebody like this yeah i I can't imagine that she it's going to be the cloisters that we knew from both of her previous stints with you know because you associate cloisters with some some of the purest ball striking but also doing the splits Mm -hmm. and reaching balls that nobody else could reach even if she'd carried on playing, she probably still wouldn't have that movement at 36, is she now? So I'm expecting it to be a different Kleisters, but I, the one thing I think will still be there is the ball striking. And mm. if we, again, soon to be out of date, tennis news, but Muguruza 
actually strikes me as possibly a slightly better match to have first up. It could just be a pure ball striking contest. And, you know, if Muguruza plays well, she'll win. But if she's a bit off and you've no idea what, you don't really know what to expect from Muguruza on any given day. Whereas Burton's, you feel like you've got to, you've really got to beat Burton's always mm. she you know she brings a consistent level all the time not so, yeah su- not it's an surprised first match not surprised that burton's has pulled out i mean that is a hell of a tough journey isn't it i've seen players in the past do well in st petersburg and go straight to dubai and the temperature differences and the 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 acclimatization is just hellish right? and there is this new rule on the wta tour where you're allowed what's called something like an excused withdrawal where you're basically allowed to withdraw from an event with tiredness or with fatigue or because you're just playing the week before rather than having to make up some injury that you've injured your foot or something when you haven't really. That's sensible. Which is a great, which it's is a completely very intuitive, logical rule because everybody is in agreement that it's completely legit to withdraw from an event in these sorts of circumstances like Burton's is and it makes a mockery of the situation that fake injuries have mm. to be created to do so so that seems really logical i also think i mean it's a completely legit withdrawal aside from this but i don't think burton's would have loved playing clysters mm. all that attention on that m- match the sort of circus that that would have gone with it that is not kiki burton's style at no, all. And I mean, she just wants to play tennis and have it be about the tennis and neighboring countries she would have grown up with yeah with kim clysters yeah. as the poster girl. And I think she said that as much. She said it had always been a dream of hers to play Kleisters. Yeah. I mean, Battle which could be, lowlands. could have been a wonderful experience, but mm. it could also be quite stressful. Yeah. Mm. So you said you, you saw her at the Fed Cup, Matt. This was you in Belgium arriving to be picked up by uh, a driver who declared himself to be a tennis podcast fan, having heard your voice. Yes, it was very surreal. <laughs> it took him. It took him a little while. You know, he picked me up at the station, and we we talked through the station, got to the car park, we're in the car. He sort of said, "What do you do?" And I said, "Well, I work in tennis." And he said, "Yes." Hang on a minute, I know your voice. <laughs> and then he and then he got his um, his podcast app out. You know, while while he was driving, to proudly show me tennis that, podcasts in his in his app. That legal. <laughs> No offence, uh, <laughs> listener, whose name we seem to have forgotten. Um, he was he was lovely, and he had been one of the drivers at the Antwerp tournament last year, and he'd actually picked up Andy Murray from the airport. Did he recognise so, recognise his voice? He, he did, yes. Oh. So I think I was very underwhelming in comparison. Um, <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. But he did just say what a what a nice bloke Andy Murray was as well. Like asking him questions about him you know and what's the weather been like how the you know how how many years have you done this driving the cars in Antwerp just he was really struck by just how down to earth Andy Murray was he's going to be telling that same story Matt about you to the next (laughs) high profile person that he drives it's not what he told me Matt Matt Roberts is is really high maintenance (laughs) (laughs) doesn't ask me anything about me (laughs) no um actually on that subject I think of the Top players that I know, male players, Murray and Federer would be the ones I would expect get into every courtesy car pretty much and would do that Mm. and would ask about the driver and the city and the tournament and how things are going. That's my experience of them. 
uh, as individuals. Interesting and interested. Yes. yes. Is is what they would put on their dating profiles. <laughs> oh, I don't, yes. I've never had one of those, so <laughs> I, didn't, I don't know about that sort of thing. Um, right. The match you saw, the tie you covered, was Belgium against Kazakhstan. What was it like? This was um, basically a playoff to get into what is now the new finals in Hungary, in Budapest, next month. So, and it, it was uh, Belgium who won it. It's still February. Is it? Let's... All right, two months' time then. Wish, wish our lives away. I'm waiting for spring. There's a daffodil out there on your window box. No, I'm clinging box. to it for dear life. It's, it's lovely little daffodil. Hope. There's only one. It's miniature and struggling, yeah, but, but it's it, there. It is a bit droopy, isn't it? I mean, it looks like it's come out because there was one day of sun. Yeah, and, and then, then Dennis mm, Storm happened. Dennis. Yeah. Oh, Storm Dennis has happened, folks. We've had a rough couple of days. <laughs> anyway, uh, so... Um, where were we? Yes, two months' time is the Fed Cup finals. What was this tie like? Yeah, so this was one of the eight qualifiers that were going on to get into the Fed, Fed, new Fed Cup finals in Budapest. It was it was my second ever Fed Cup tie. I did GB Kazakhstan last year. I seem to I seem to be Kazakhstan correspondent. Excellent. Um, did you have some more? Matt Newlia Putinsova. Did you yeah? Did you get Peas some more pod. bicep kissing? Oh yeah, yeah, and r- racket throws and stomping. It was great. Awesome. Um, My biggest regret of Australian Open twenty twenty is that I missed Collins Putin's. Uh, I think we can get a fact. recording. That's my single biggest regret. <laughs> mm. Sorry, Matt. Um, but no, again, I was I was struck by the same feeling that I always have covering a Fed or Davis Cup tie. That when you're when you're there in that moment. It feels like the best thing because everybody cares so much about it. And the most important thing. The most important thing. And I think it's really important that whatever the Fed and Davis Cup looks like in the future, that these that there is still some home and away aspect to it because they're like community ties. You know, I talk about the drivers, but, you know, that's their experience of tennis in Belgium. It can be going to these ties and... You know, I was in, it was in Kortrijk, which is not a not a big city in Belgium, and yet it's had two Davis two Fed Cup ties in two years. It's just a way of getting tennis to more people, I think. And yeah, it, it, was, it was it was great fun. Um, I was there for the ITF, so I was writing rather than podcasting, which was a different different personal challenge. He, and he, he did very well, folks. I've read his stuff. He did. It's really good. Have a look. I see Doskariovas quit. As yes. Cup captain. Yeah. So Dias Doskareev, Doskareev. Oh. Matt Roberts exclusive. This was. <laughs> this was. This was a bit of an exclusive. Um, basically, the. Hang Kazakh- on, is this your article that I'm reading? That's here? right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've literally got that, it. that wasn't a setup, folks. <laughs> it really was. Oh, I see your name. Yeah. That's great. So um, the basically, you get two minutes with every player and captain in, in that role after after the matches one on one two minutes to get the quotes and the belgium press team were traveling with a press officer who was kind of standing over watching and making sure that you had your two minutes and that was kind of it kazakhstan rocked up without any kind of press officer and their captain the former captain dios doskareev is an amazing talker he's com- completely fluent in english and he just loves talking about it you ask him one question he talks for three minutes and yeah he gave me 12 minutes uninterrupted at the end of the tie talking about 
how he was 99% sure it was going to be his last tie, that he had no regrets. And, and he, he, was, he was really lamenting the fact that Kazakhstan, he so he's been the Davis Cup captain and the Fed Cup captain. And in Davis Cup, he's always managed to have some big wins. Um, you know, they've beaten Switzerland, they've beaten Czech Republic, but he's never quite been able to do it with the Fed Cup team. You know, he, they'd lost three playoffs, including that one to GB last year. And now they lost this to just not quite get over that final hurdle. And he just sounded like he'd done all he could really with that team. And he's, an, he's, an, he's a really impressive bloke. Um, and he's now going to be replaced by Yaroslava Shvedova, who was coming back into the side anyway. For She hadn't played for three years after giving birth to twins. Who are called... Who are amazingly are called, I think, Merka and Stan. <laughs> Were they born in 2016 during the ATV finals? Um, Shvedva of golden, golden set golden fame. Set fame. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, she. For anyone who doesn't know, she beat Sara Rani for the loss of zero points. Poor Sara Rani. In a set. being on the wrong side yeah, of that. At Wimbledon, fact. 2013, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's now going to be the playing captain. But yeah, it was just really interesting to hear someone like Doskoyev talk about being in charge of a nation like Kazakhstan, which he says the hardest thing is getting a sense of belonging in that competition. You know, they're a new, relatively new nation in tennis and they, and they turn up at these events and they're always the underdogs. Even though they've got a big team, they, they travel with about 20 fans who always go, but it's just them. And they always turn up as the underdogs and they're having to fight. And Putin Saver absolutely embodies that spirit um and i think kukushkin does for the for the davis cup team but yeah he's he, he's leaving um and yeah he just gave me 12 minutes just just oh, talking lovely <laughs> isn't it a perfect encapsulation though of of what you talk about in terms of community tennis and it means the world to him or it has done and and these teams and these fans and it is easy, I think, particularly with a show like ours and with other main media outlets or general media outlets to to just sort of brushstroke some of these things a little bit in terms of because of the greater good. And I'm definitely somebody who, who has been supportive of the idea of having a big finals event, uh, whatever tweaks need to be made to it. But you're right, you don't want to lose this stuff in the wash completely because it it matters. Yeah, and... At the same time, we were there on... So the, the tie was played over the Friday and the Saturday. The Friday was just the most brilliant tennis. Both three-set matches, Merton's coming back to win, Putin Saver saving three match points and coming back to win. You know, we've been there probably six hours for those two matches, given the break in between, and yet the tie was one all. And we were absolutely no closer to finding out who was going to win. And you're thinking, well that isn't really sustainable to have what they used to have of three or four weekends like that where, you know, these, these ties are going on, you're getting to a next stage, but how much are you actually progressing in the, in the tournament? I think the way they've done it now with this round of home and away to get to Budapest, you know, this, the, the whole branding of the destination Budapest, it's like that sort of end goal in mind, I think really makes it a lot clearer about what you're actually playing for in those ties. Mm. Um, mm. And that was, you know, all the captains were really talking about how much they wanted to get to Budapest rather than just the next round in the competition, which could be anywhere against anyone. At least now, you know, it's much easier to follow. Um, we had the ultimate extreme of that, of course, last year in that tie that we referenced. Exactly. That Britain 
finally had won one of these playoff ties and we're going to get into what was then Fed Cup World Group 2. Mm. And turns out that it didn't matter at all because of the way they rejigged the whole thing. Yeah. And Joe Conta and Katie Bolter had played incredible tennis and pretty heroic tennis in order to drag Britain over the line in that tie against Kazakhstan. It was some great scenes on TV. We had I was commentating had a world well of a time. Didn't end up meaning anything, really. Um, and then they played their playoff tie, neither of which featured or neither of those two players playing in it, Conta and Bolter, because Bolter had a very, very serious back injury. She had a stress fracture to the back pretty much straight after that tie and didn't play again all year last year and didn't play this tie. Conta has had a a knee issue. She decided not to play either. Um, And Britain beaten by... Slovakia. Slovakia, yeah. Uh, With Victoria Kuzmova. Yeah. Coming up trumps. Her finest hour and I missed it. (laughs) Oh, dear. There'll be others, Matt. We saw it, didn't we? I saw the live scoring. Yeah, I, I saw. I saw, some bit, of it. I saw bits of it. I didn't. It, I didn't see much of Kuzmova. I saw her fighting tooth and nail against Harriet Dart, and it was a really, really good match. And uh, and Dart was excellent, um, but it finished Kuzmova off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I mean she, she did. She pretty much said that, didn't she? She withdrew ahead of the the reverse uh, singles tie. Yeah. She said. Uh, I've sort of had the flu, but I'm also really, really knackered after that match yesterday. She said she'd been under the weather, but that tie just wiped her out. I don't know what would have happened if it had gone to the doubles. She was down to play in that, and she didn't play the reverse singles. Crikey. Um, But that means that Britain now have got to play another playoff tie in April, going to Mexico, in order to try to get back into the playoff stages for the world group next February. So it's... Oh. You've got to win in Mexico just to tread water, yeah. which is... It's a tough ass. And Joe Contra has already discounted herself from that yeah. tie. So it's... Uh, who knows where Katie Bolter will be by that point. And not her ideal surface, really, Bolter. No, it's all very, very tough. I'd say, I mean, on ranking GB, the heavy favourites, but... And I must say, to me, this... I'm sure we'll come on to... Talking about Conta's non-participation in the one in the Fed Cup tie that just happened, but it feels perfectly understandable that she wouldn't want to go all the way to Mexico yeah. and play. It feels very much like the kind of tie that Andy Murray used to sit out of the Davis Cup and say, "Look, you guys need to get us back into you know a, a higher level of this competition, and then I'll be there for you." But you know, Mexico's highest-ranked player. I know it's going to be on clay. It'll be a difficult tie away, but their highest-ranked players. About 250 in the world. That's a that's a tie that you know Dart and Watson and Swan should you know kind of be embracing, thinking right, let's go over there and let's win that tie, get us back in this next you know the same stage we've just been in. Um, Fantastic opportunity for them, absolutely, to, to have a really positive experience that could could provide a launch pad. And I think that's what that's what makes me sad about Conte's decision that mm. she obviously doesn't see. Fed Cup, Fed Cup in any context as that. As you say, I, I completely agree that I I would find a decision not to play in Mexico very understandable. And it's look, it's entirely up, up to her. I think she's every right to make this decision. But equally, it is disappointing. It's disappointing that she didn't consider any of the the positives that she got from Fed Cup last year worth trying to emulate 
this year. Maybe she doesn't see it like like that as we do from the outside. And there's she, so she, much that we don't know about. But it's she a played shame. it a lot. She's played it. I think every year for well, pretty much as long as I can remember. So it's not like she hasn't put her hand up for it. But I was surprised really that she didn't want to play this one because. Britain did have a chance to get to... They were at that Andy Murray stage that you referenced. Mm. The player... I mean, and it was part, part of that's because of Conta. She, she'd got them into this position. And I was surprised that she didn't want to try and heave Britain into that Fed Cup finals and play that. Now, she has had an, an injury, which I, I do take that on board. I mean, she's struggled to get any form together in, in recent months um, and, and even to play end of last year. She did play St. Petersburg literally the, the next day, uh, singles and doubles. So she was fit enough to play. She made a decision not to. Um, now, when I, I asked on social media what people thought, virtually everybody said it's absolutely fine. Her decision is, is entirely up to her, which it is. Um, but hang on, you asked in pole vault form a binary choice. I didn't ask a pole vault actually. I just sort of you gave a or a, a what, it wasn't either or. It was though, a binary yeah. choice between understandable decision and disappointing. It's friggin' both. <laughs> that really annoyed me. I did get a, a terse message from Catherine. I stand by it's it. Both, of course, it's understandable, and you know she knows her body. She knows what's going on. She thinks that's best for her. She knows better than me. But it's really disappointing. Mm. And I think Anne, I think Anne Kjothevong's comments after that tie in Bratislava were quite interesting because she, she referenced what you were saying, Catherine, about how it was disappointing in the fact that she doesn't see what Fed Cup did for her season last year. You know, between January and April last year, Conta was not having a particularly good season. And then she went on to have her best Grand Slam summer in terms of her results in... Paris, Wimbledon and, and the US Open and it, it felt like it was kick-started by what she did in Fed Cup and, and Kjothevong kind of mentioned that and said, look, I completely understand that you know she needs to kind of put herself first but playing Fed Cup might actually mm. help her personally, help her well, Why does putting career. yourself first necessarily mean not playing exactly. Fed Cup? You're obviously, yeah, n- not... I mean, you don't get ranking points, do you? You don't, no. Um, but but I, look, I take the point. I was in Bath the the time in mm. February last year when she was at a low ebb and she rebuilt her confidence through that particular run of um, of, of and, tires. And we'll probably never know deep down how she feels. But of course, you know, while while Fed Cup was was happening and GB were losing to Slovakia, she she lost first round in St. Peter, St. Petersburg to Ocean Dodan, which is she's not a not a good loss that with all due respect to to Dodda yeah I suspect she's not somebody that looks at things in terms of regrets you know she's very much about the process etc etc but I do just wonder deep down how she how she might reflect on that if she were mm. to but Bolter I'm not surprised uh, but and particularly it must be and even I reckon there must be some kind of baggage in your mind mm. as well if she'd have played it knowing the amount what of tennis to her I mean, she year. was really felt like she was on the cusp of something and she was stopped from playing for the rest of the year and she's had so many illness and injury problems that you know i i personally understand that one more in that way stress fractures the stress fractures so difficult because you uh, the, the the only way you just have to rest 
Mm. I mean, you, I, I doubt she'd have been able to do any kind of hitting or what even gym work for at, at least six weeks. I mean, in terms yeah. of momentum and so on, that's, that's uh, a nightmare. America won, uh, but it was a heck of a tie. Oh, fantastic tie. They won 3-2. This was the United States against Latvia. They won the first two rubbers comfortably in their team. I mean, they had the new Australian Open champion, Sophia Kenin. They had Serena Williams back. They had a doubles team with Bethany Matic-Sands on. They got Alison Risk in reserve. They got Coco Goff on the team. I mean, incredible team. Went 2-0 up. And then, you know, and this is in the States. And this was, uh, you know, uh, celebration time, they thought. And then suddenly... Ostapenko comes back. Who Ostapenko beat Kenin, mm-hmm. and then uh, Sevastova beat Serena. Serena Williams. Serena's first ever loss in Fed Cup, and she's—I think she'd been playing it since you know the late nineties. She was, <laughs> she was fifteen wins in a row, and Sevastova beat her at home. It was it was incredible from Sevastova, yeah. uh, and she had to win to keep the to keep the tie alive um, and just a, a packed crowd I think they're playing in Everett just a packed stadium this amazing Where atmosphere Where is Everett? Washington State Oh right North Northwest Okay I don't know I've got I'm nothing Googling. to contribute to the geographical conversation I think I could be I, that, that could be wrong okay. Based on the time zone it was definitely yeah. West Catherine's got the phone out um, um, So the doubles it went to winner take all doubles and it was one-sided in the end. Bethany Matic-Sands coming out with Kenan and winning it. And they are... That's a slightly established doubles pair. They've played together before, haven't they? Because what does what does Matic-Sands call Kenan? Peter. Yeah. Which was... I, I, I still can't get my head around that. I'm not a fan of that. It seems really um, confected to me. She just wanted to give her another name because she couldn't decide between <laughs> Sophia and Sonia. It's neither apt nor witty. I like it. <laughs> uh, it is in Washington State. First time Washington State had ever hosted a Fed Cup tie. Oh, well done. Very good. So, I mean, that's, that's just another example of taking tennis to a place that doesn't have tennis, mm. you know. Um, Washington has a very vibrant tennis community. Oh, OK. Apparently. Ignore what I just says, said. <laughs> no, says USTA chairman of the board and president, <laughs> Patrick Galbraith. Oh, well, there you go. Um, competition gives us a chance to bring world-class tennis to Everett, engage with the community and use the platform to truly celebrate and grow tennis in the area, which I'm sure it has done. It was a wonderful time. So, well done, Peter. <laughs> no, I'm not there for that one either, actually. <laughs> the, the pictures, though. I mean, I, I don't always love the... Um, the pre-tie pitches that you get from Fed Cup because I'm not a fan of the matching outfit vibe, the matching dresses, bridesmaid style. What do you want them in? Just whatever they want to wear. Well, you would have loved the... Give them a dress code and let them... I mean, I I know it sort of looks nice for pictures, but when you see them in sort of bridesmaid-y dresses, all matching, I don't know. What do you think of it? What do you think of when they wear the... ATP Finals suit get-up. Well, it's different for men, isn't it? Because they're all just wearing, you know, it's entirely standardised. No one's going, oh, he's decided to wear that suit. <laughs> Whereas with the women, it's, oh, it's, uh, that's a strange neckline. No one's saying that about a suit and tie, are they? But if, you, if you're all wearing the same thing, nobody's saying that either, are they? Yes, they are for women. Right. You, I'm trying to get my head around it. You think there's not... 
it's not necessarily that they're wearing dresses. It's just the uniformity of it. And of course, there is more scrutiny on what women wear than what men wear. Yeah. And it just, I don't know, just looks... Didn't you say there was a hoodie arrival at yours, <laughs> Yes, Matt? the um, the, Bel- <laughs> the Belgium-Kazakhstan official dinner. Only pictures are available of the Belgian team because <laughs> the Kazakh team <laughs> turned up in jeans and hoodies. Um, it, it wasn't, I don't believe it was some kind of statement. It was literally that they didn't know that they were supposed to be wearing anything smart. Right. Um, and yeah, there were lit, like no pictures of, of them at all. I saw one that someone had taken on a phone. Um, and yeah, they, I mean, the captain, yes, Doskoev, was in his suit. And all the players were just in, yeah, jeans and hoodies. Thinking about it, the um, so that yeah, the ATP finals have always had this um, uniformity. Yeah, but they? they're all, they're allowed to wear their own suits. No, they don't. They yeah, all they wear do. No, the no, same, they don't. Exactly wear the, they the don't wear matching suits. suits. Sometimes they've worn exactly the same suits. Google this then. This like, is the Catherine like, Google's things and reads it out. Podcast. Like as if they were the FA Cup final football team going out onto the pitch. They've often had that get up but there is more uniformity in suits in general i was just then there then i mean it's just not i was just comparing it to the wta finals where they where they don't do that where they mm. they just wear what they want mm. um you know with an with a i guess a yeah. dress code and nobody looks at those iconic photos and goes oh that looks a bit messy they're all wearing what they what they like i mean okay they're, they not, get very, they're not a team they get very scrutinized though don't yeah they? welcome to being a woman I'm just think. I'm just learning, just <laughs> learning as I go, <laughs> on air. Uh, right, okay. Well, Catherine Google's. Um, well, I'm looking at a photo here of the 2019, and they're all wearing casual oh, wear. Well, that was because they sort of gave up at the 2019 ATP finals. Yes. I think all the money went on the ATP Cup. They're wearing non-matching casual wear. Go back to 2017. Have a look at that. Oh, yeah. back when Dominic Team had acceptable hair. Look at those. <laughs> that was only a few months ago, Dominic. Oh, Berrettini. Uh, <laughs> so, um, Budapest draw uh, is, uh, is 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 has been done. Um, and uh, hang on, you're right. 2018, they're all wearing matching suits, and it looks really weird. Does it? Yeah, I mean, not as weird as some of the Fed Cup photos, but it looks really weird. It looks like sort of a photo of um, some sort of choir. <laughs> I do. I, I do think it would be more interesting if they weren't in the same gear. Actually, wouldn't that be more interesting? Yeah, because the biggest interest was it two years ago when Zverev turned out without any socks. Yeah, with his suit. I, yeah, I, I mean, this is the most boring photo ever taken. It's just a, a bunch of white men in the same suit standing with a trophy. Oh yeah, I'd be quite interested. Give me to some see jazzy ties or something. What they would go with? Uh, okay. So we've had, we've had that conversation. Um, and uh, so basically the Fed Cup finals in April puts together four groups of three teams each, which is similar to it's, – it's a smaller field, isn't it, than the Davis Cup finals, but it's the same sort of system. Yes, exactly. Um, playing a little bit around, Robin. So you've got France, Russia, and Hungary together. You've got Australia, Belarus, and Belgium together. Which, which is a really strong group. Yeah, that's that's a great group, isn't it? And that's and that's Belarus who beat um, Holland in mm. Holland. Um, they came back and Sabalenka and Sasnovich won the deciding 
doubles rubber. And these are these are going to be two singles and one doubles, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, and then you've got uh, the states, United States, Spain, and Slovakia. That's also a good good group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Czech. My word. This Czech, is the Czech Republic, Germany, and Switzerland. Yeah. Yeah. That's a group right there. Oh. I'm quite looking forward to this. Um, so that's uh, in April, same week as the uh, the Monte Carlo 1000 event uh, on the ATP side. Um, so that's uh, a busy week of tennis ahead uh, in April. Right now, Gael Monfils has just won two titles in a row. And there was that stat going around that he'd never won two titles in a year before. Now he's won two <laughs> in as many weeks and he's won them in the first two months of the year. Quite something, because he's been around for a decade or more, hasn't he? What does it mean? Nothing. Well, it means... I have no idea what it means. I mean... I suspect it probably means not very much, but there's always a chance that it means something. I mean, it's it's, it's nice. I enjoy watching Gelmorfis playing good tennis and winning things, but to a slightly lesser degree than with Nick Kyrgios, I apply the same rule of let's not try to extrapolate what it means too much i i hadn't even considered what it means i must say oh right okay well because let's not then <laughs> i was just really i mean i suppose if i'm trying to extrapolate some meaning it's the fact that he was dialed in for two straight weeks like that despite being really ill in yeah. rotterdam i mean uh, during his match against dan evans he went off the court to i think be sort of violently ill and in his semi-final as well against Krajinovic, he was sort of he was bent double at the side of the court. Looked like he was going to be sick. Yeah, he was, he was clearly struggling. And look, you're quite right. When I watch Nick Kyrgios or have done over the last five years, I've tended to watch him have a big tournament like this and think, right. And then we sit down and do the podcast. Yeah. What, and you what, say, this what mean does it mean for Indian Wells and thereafter for the slams that follow? Um, I really hadn't given that a lot of thought with Monfils. And I think the reason is because we've had so many years of, I would say, frustration for myself watching him play tennis, thinking how much he's capable of and feeling as though he's not delivering on it, that I've stopped thinking about him as a contender at Grand Slams, really. Um, But then I think he's in the top 10 in the world, which had kind of slightly passed me by that he's a top 10 player but that he just came out and he played these events and it was mostly tennis with intent with a few tricks on the side. He did one shot, a running forehand passing shot, which also contained a 360 turn <laughs> in the middle of the run just for, the, just for kicks, just to show he could do it. And he hit a winner. It was fantastic to watch. But generally speaking, he just went and won the tournament. Now, yeah, I would love him now to take that approach into all the rest of the year and just see what happens. It would be fascinating to see. And he he may say, well, I'd, I'd kind of do that already, and this is where I am. Felt to me like he really applied himself without any dips at all uh, in these couple of weeks. I think there's been a, a subtle shift with Monfils in the last two years where he he has been applying himself more. I, I've... We definitely were having similar conversations to this circa um, Indian Wells last year. Yes. He ended up having to, to withdraw, didn't he? Um, with a, an, I can't remember quite what the injury was. Uh, was it before the semi-finals? He had won Rotterdam. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he hadn't won the back-to-back events, but he had won Rotterdam and he played so well in Indian Wells. This isn't 
new in recent times talking about Gamalfis stringing things together. Mm. I just think it's 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 focus and fitness with Monfils and I feel like in the last two years it's been more fitness problems that have inhibited him a little bit from getting on a bit of a roll as you said he was on that roll and then he had mm. to pull out of Indian Wells um, but still those concerns remain like he could get injured again because he's so injury prone um, so it's difficult to really look that far ahead with him I, I, I just try and enjoy him on feast in the moment because otherwise I find the the kind of gap between what he's capable of and what he produces is just too frustrating mm. um, so if you just enjoy what he's delivering at the moment and the tennis he's capable of playing which and he can play in so many different ways he can he can be a complete counterpuncher who's defensive and makes sort of forces errors out of his opponent like he did in the final against Orger Ali Asim. Or he can be capable of the most brilliant attacking tennis. Yeah. Or he can be the showman. He can kind of do it all, but maybe that's a little bit of his problem. He's yeah. he's it's, stuck between ways of how to play because he's it, so good at so many of them. It's funny, I think instinctively in people's minds, people still think of him as an attacking player because he has all these weapons at his disposal. But actually, he spends, spends the majority of his time about three metres behind the baseline. Mm. It is a really defensive, um, almost um, pusher, slow baller type, can you, can type player, think, but then just every now and then turns can it Can you on. think of anybody that has gone from those two opposites, from from the, the scurrying counter-puncher behind the baseline, who has just completely overhauled themselves? Like that. I'd, I'd, I'd be curious if, if anybody listening has, has got any thoughts about what, that. I'd be curious. Mid-match or mid-career? No, just mid-career. That has, that has had a coach come along and say, you know what, this is ridiculous. You should not be back there. And well, you need well, to turn uh, it around. Presumably somebody is going to do it with Zverev at some point. Well, uh, he's an obvious one that you feel, I feel even more about him that he should be doing it than Monfils because mm. he doesn't have the physical ability that Monfils has because Monfils has been getting... Results in spite of it. Um, and you might say, well, so is Zverev. But I think Zverev has had periods where he has stepped up. And he's also got the more destructive serve. By the way, Monfils last year, he, he beat Vavrinka in the Rotterdam final. He then went to the semi-finals of Dubai. And he had that classic against Sitsipas, which he lost 7-6 yes. in, the, uh, in the third. And then he eventually got to the quarters in Indian Wells and, and then withdrew against team. Mm. Um so and and yeah, I just I've all I, there have been spells in Monte Carlo a few years ago when he beat Dimitrov and Federer back to back, and then the next year he reached the final of that tournament where he was standing on the baseline and he was teeing off. He was using his athleticism to defend and get to the ball, and he was using his power and his racket skills to dominate. And that was the best version of Gael Monfils I've ever seen, and that's the version that I feel that the world has not seen enough of because if. I think it's in there. I think it's in there for him to go toe-to-toe with the best in the world way more often. He's got a lot of baggage, though. Well, yeah, because I remember... So he's lost two matches this year, Monfils. He's won, I think, 13 out of 15. He's lost two. One against Djokovic in the ATP Cup, and the other was team at the Australian Open. Now, neither of those are bad losses. Absolutely, they've been the best two players this year. But... The manner of them. The manner of them. I remember him going on court against Team at the Australian Open, completely convinced that Team was going to win that match. Completely convinced. Yeah. 
because we shouldn't feel that way no because Monfils should be a disruptor but he's not really in those big matches because he you know how he's going to play and the the the, the top guys can deal with that I mean the the other time when you felt like something was different with Gael Monfils was for me US Open 2016 he had uh, he had quite recently teamed up with um Tilstrom Tilstrom uh, Michael Tilstrom um, and there was definitely something different about him in Tilstrom. I'd interviewed him a couple of times during that tournament and he he wasn't shying away from the fact that he was trying to create a slightly different game or feast with a less showboaty approach. And I remember, you know, really bigging up that semi-final. He, uh, he was due to play with with Novak Djokovic, even though Djokovic was clearly the heavy favourite, you know, Monfils was showing signs of being the guy that can be a disruptor. And, and sorry, and it was a Djokovic that looked quite it, vulnerable. That absolutely, tournament when he, it was a strange tournament, yeah. sort of all round. That's the one where he lost to Varinka, wasn't it? Yeah, and he yes. and he hadn't he won two of his matches, one with a walkover, one yeah. with a retirement. Yeah. It, nothing about him was convincing. Absolutely. And it was it was one of the weirdest tennis matches I've ever seen. And that was a guy that walked on court thinking, I, I obviously don't have a chance to beat Novak Djokovic. I've got to do something weird. And he admitted it early on in his yeah. press conference afterwards. He said, early on, I realised I was playing properly and look where I was. Mm. So I thought I'd try something different. Which, but he panicked after like two games. Yeah, it, it was, from the outside commentating on it, it was, no, you don't, mate. You, yeah. do, you, you, can, you can take this guy on and he didn't believe it. It was um, so strange. And such a message about how he feels now. I mean, and that was, you know, three and a half years ago, how he feels against these really top guys. There's, there's a lot of baggage there. I, I, um, I also yeah. think just on the um, tournaments he's won there, it, they're good tournaments. And Rotterdam, I think, is, a, you know, it's one, of, it's one of the longest standing tournaments. It's a great run tournament. But, you know, how many miles can you put on the clock? Especially when you're getting a little older like he is. To then play Indian Wells and Miami, which are probably pretty hard on the body and hard on the knees and all that. How how much have you got to then bring out when you get to Roland Garros or when you get to Wimbledon or when you get to the US Open? It's just that's one of the challenges that these guys face. And uh, and he and Songa, I think similarly, have have excelled at these sort of tournaments over the years. And maybe there's just not room for all of them. Don't know. One bloke who has got himself a win uh, as well for the first time in a year and a half and only the second time in his career is Kyle Edmund, who's won the New York Open, uh, an ATP 250 event, which is, you know, it's 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 not a big event, um, but it's it had people like Milos Raonic in, it had John Isner in. Um, briefly. Briefly. Uh, both lost very, very tight matches. Um, and Edmund won your it. faith. Yeah, I, I went for a Milos Raonic title. So thanks, Milos, for screwing that up. Um, and uh, Kyle Edmund came out of nowhere and uh, and won the title. So well done to him. And it's um, it's quite it's quite a big moment for him, really, because he's had a really rough twelve months. Really rough. It's precisely it's precisely what he needed. Some similarities to to last year, although in a bigger way, in that he had a he had a really poor start to. To last year as well, obviously defending those semi-final points at the Australian Open, and was was clearly struggling in all sorts of ways. And he dipped down to to challenger level prior to to Indian Wells, and that felt like that challenger event that they have in Indian Wells beforehand. And he he won that and ended up winning a couple of matches in Indian Wells. I think didn't he lose to Federer? Yeah, fourth yeah. round. Yeah. And it was, uh, uh, and obviously, 
the, the rest of last year didn't pan out as he hoped, but it was the same sort of feeling of Kyle Edmund needs to regroup somehow, mm. just dip down, get some wins, rebuild the com- confidence and just reset. And um, he had to go to challenger level to do it last year. This year it's obviously at a you know relatively small event, but it feels feels mentally of this same kind of significance because we know how much of a confidence player Kyle is. I mean, that is, it's very, very clear to everybody. So this feels big. We know what he's, we know what he's capable of. We also know his, his limitations, but he is a, he's a Grand Slam semi-finalist with an enormous weapon in yeah. that forehand. Well, when you consider that we've just been talking about Gaël Monfils and their Grand Slam achievements, their top Grand Slam achievement is the same, a mm. semi-final. And, and I think you can never, you can never just brush off winning an ATP title. You know, it's a it's a big deal. You know, someone like you know, we talk about how well Dan Evans has been playing over the last year, couple of years. You know, that's that's still something that he hasn't done. Mm. You know, Felix Auger-Aliassime. Felix Auger-Aliassime. You know, Carl Edmonds now got two. That's very impressive. Um, Good to see Oshay seen by the way, beaten in the final uh, in Rotterdam, but looking like himself again, you know. Yeah, I must say, watching Oshay seen this week was a was a little lesson to, to me, I think, because I've been a little bit down on him in the last six months, maybe. A little bit underwhelmed every time I watched him, thinking, where's his moment? What's he? When's he going to, you know, properly step up? And it it felt like his tennis was so much better this week than than what I'd seen. Not in the final. I don't think he had his best day in the final. His forehand was pretty pretty erratic. But the win he had against Dimitrov in particular was the one where I thought, okay, if this guy's tennis clicks, he is going to be a serious problem for a lot of players in the future because his temperament is what stands out above anything. He's so calm and mature on the court. Plus, he's got extraordinary speed and defensive skills, especially on the backhand. And then the ball just pops off his strings on the forehand. If he makes it, it's a real weapon. He's so athletic and everything was working in that match. And you kind of saw the the package that so many people have talked about with him. And yeah, it, it was just a really positive week for Ojeali Asim. In, and that win over Dimitrov happened just before, I think, Sinner beat Goffin. Meant- Which was a joy. Just an, just Sinner's backhand. Just oh, I could watch that all day. I thought it was slightly symbolic in a way that it was Goffin and Dimitrov who Orjali Asim and Sinner were beating because you know Goffin and Dimitrov were the ones who got to the finals of the ATP finals in 2017, and maybe they've they've slightly ushered in a new era over that tournament, having a having a different winner from the big four. But mm. absolutely, they haven't built on that, you know, that, that week that they had in, in, other, in the big events in the slams since then, because they're, you know, they're of that generation, Dimitrov and Goffin, who have had fewer opportunities than Orger Aliasim and Sinner are going to have just because of their age. And they weren't, they weren't really quite ready to grasp it, neither Dimitrov nor Goffin. Now they could still, they could still, but they. I feel, but I feel like they're playing with a burden, with a weight. Plus, there's a freeness to Sinner and Orgelia. Sinner and Orgelia Sim are not going to have to encounter their careers with the three greatest. Well, that's exactly of all what time. I mean. Yeah, you know, 
it's they're going to have more opportunities and you, you you feel like they're looking at the road ahead thinking it's pretty clear for me really I just need to ride out these two year three years and then it's then this is going to be mine tennis wise whereas um Dimitrov and Goffin are kind of stuck between the two generations mm. it's maybe a bit sad <laughs> Is Matt bringing down the mood? Yeah, Dimitrov Shapovalov, <laughs> just to dwell on the sad from... Well, we're on sad. Dimitrov Shapovalov made me a bit sad as well because Dimitrov actually won that and played pretty well. But And I know it's very early to be saying this about Shapovalov and to be clear, I desperately hope I'm wrong. But it felt a bit like Shapovalov staring down his potential <laughs> future. Could be. Yeah, um, possible. I mean, You know, he was playing junior tennis again. Yeah, it was. It looked great in moments. It's you know, it, it's still and sometimes you, it's great and it's really enjoyable. What you and, mean is, but, if you rewind eight years down the road from this podcast, we were talking about Dimitrov with such excitement as being the next big champion of the sport and how excited we were. And he's had a good career, but he hasn't reached the heights we we would have thought he would no. have reached. Um, Shapovalov came along. We have had the same level of expectation and excitement over him. And we are, we're not sure yet. We don't know whether he will be able to, to do it or not. But yeah, I mean, there are, there are similarities with him and Dimitrov in the way they it's, carry it, themselves. I have the same concerns in terms of, is that chip missing? That tennis IQ, problem solving, shot selection chip? And I really, th- I still think Eugenie's a good appointment. I still think there is fruits to come from that appointment. I hope there is, but it does alarm me that I, I still, moments aside, I still am not sure he's a better player than he was two, two and a half years ago. And that's not good for a 20-year-old. Mm. I, 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 yeah. I See, I'm hanging on to the last three months of last year. And mm. uh, and how much better he looked. Am I doing recency bias? I'm thinking of this as I a, hope so. I'm thinking of this as a blip. Okay. <laughs> because that, I feel more comfortable with that. I, I hope you're right. Um, but I, but I don't know. This is David's optimism versus <laughs> Kathy's pessimism <laughs> episode number 482. <laughs> uh, actually, it's 640-something <laughs> that we're on the podcast. I'm sure there have been odd episodes in there when I've been uncharacteristically optimistic. There David, are, actually, yeah. Some, sometimes I've just looked at you as though, what's <laughs> what happened? What's she on? <laughs> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Incidentally, uh, Kyle Edmund also won the tournament on the same day or 24 hours after... um, one of the less suitable videos was posted oh. about him uh, or that he featured in on the, on the New York Open website on their Twitter feed. And they were very active on social media. And I mean, it's I, we know from, from Queens, it's not easy to sort of make a buzz, if you like, about a, about a tournament um, out of nothing. I mean, obviously, Queens has got a, a, a more history and, and more standing, etc. Um, but, you know, there have been some ideas we've come up with that have not worked. Um, some have been great, like Vuk interview, interviewing players last year, and, and some probably weren't so good. Uh, this one was a shocker. Uh, and some of, the, some of their videos were quite good. I saw one with Milos Raonic and a puppy, which, which was quite funny. But this one with Kyle Edmund playing a, some kind of Tinder game really yeah, didn't work. Asking, I, asking, Kyle, asking anyone to do snog, marry, avoid with uh, women's tennis players. Uh-uh. Asking Kyle Edmund to do that is an anxiety dream. Mm. I, I physically can't make it through the video. No, it's, it's, he didn't, it's every bit as excruciating as you're imagining. He, he didn't look like he really wanted to make no. it through either, to be honest. <laughs> no. I'm so sorry for And then there was the great moment at the end where he looks, he's looking around. So what have I just been and a part they, of there? they did a big funny at the end where one of the Snog Marry Avoid candidates was the female interviewer. So... Um, there was both. Uh, there was the awkwardness of him clearly not knowing her name. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Com- the punchline. Combined, I think I got to that bit. Combined with the just generalised awkwardness of the whole situation. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know whether it, I am admiring of the fact that they got to the end of that edit and thought, "Yeah, we'll put this out." Uh, there were, you know, obviously time and everything had gone into it, but yeah. It probably should have hit the cutting room floor, I think. But uh, And Kyle still won the tournament. So well done, Kyle. Well done, Kyle. Uh, for, for dishing it out on court. Uh, right, anything else that I'm forgetting? Uh, St. Petersburg. Oh, yeah, I mentioned that briefly, that Kiki Burton's, didn't win it. Kiki Burton's won it. We had a shocking week on the prediction side. Incidentally, if, mean, you, if you want to see next week's shocking predictions, <laughs> sign up to our newsletter, which uh, you can see the uh, link to in our show notes right now. And you'll get it straight to your inbox with our picks for the week. And they'll be... They'll be wrong. Completely wrong. Because <laughs> uh, that's what we do. Yeah. Yes. But Kiki Burton's beat the very much rising Elena Rybakina, yes. who is... Yes, that Doskariev is very excited about. He is, yes. Because she's recently, I think in the last couple of years, got her Kazakhstan 
citizenship, which means I think from next year she'll be eligible to play Fed Cup for Kazakhstan. But meanwhile, she's just... I think she's climbed 170 spots there or there about in 52 weeks. If you go back to this time last year, she was about 196. Now she's top, top 20, I think. I think she might be the player that I thought Kuzmova was. <laughs> in oh, that, he's in, already written her off. No, in, in that I game... Thought I thought Yastremska was the player you thought Kuzmova was. No, but I think Yastremska's got even more in her game. Do, hold oh, on, okay, do, do you, style comparison. Style comparison. Do you style actually comparison. think you might have got the wrong person when you said Kuzmova? Do you think Which you I did totally. with Petra Did you Martich mean somebody then? else? <laughs> no, no, I meant Kuzmova. Oh, I was you, just wrong. Oh, OK. Um, okay. Yeah, I was trying to give you an out there. <laughs> no, I'm happy to admit I got that horribly wrong. Okay. Um, but she's, she's just had a moment. But, yes, true. Reba Kina is an incredible ball striker, like, she hits it a ton, and yet she's got she's got better movement than Kuzmova, I would say. Um, she backs it up better with with other parts of her game. Um, but actually, Burton's handled her really comfortably in the final. I watched that final, and Burton's was playing mm. really, really well. So it's her it's her perfect event, as you were saying earlier about how you know the spotlight's not on her that much. Or oh, you say it. that though? Did you did you see the player walk-ons? Oh, in St. Petersburg. Oh, St. Petersburg is incredible they go to town on it oh wow they they have like human light up billboards like human beings in electronic Mm. um like i there isn't a word for it because it's so weird (laughs) that that accompany the players onto court and kiki burton's doing that is so great because she's so clearly not into it in any way like she won't make eye contact with anyone involved yeah so she's just forced to stand next to this sort of robotic light up light up mm. person it's well, extraordinary and then uh, the the trophy ceremony seemed to involve some characters from the handmaid's tale <laughs> <laughs> well last in the men's version well, last year shut. was when they had anastasia Oh yes. Yeah. And 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 throughout the whole tournament at the change of ends they have a jazz band <laughs> sort of just casually playing a jazz version of Andy Williams can't take my eyes off of you. <laughs> oh. It's really great. It's really great. Excellent. Um, so well done Kiki Burton's who uh... Yeah, and especially impressive to come back straight after losing the decisive doubles in Fed Cup oh, to go she? to go straight to St Petersburg and and win four four matches I think yeah oh, really good good effort uh, Magna Magdalenette won the title in Hua Hin in Thailand and she yes. beat someone I've genuinely never heard of in the final yes who beat um, Chong Wong who was who was my wrong mm. prediction for the how week. could you well not done. have predicted that Leonie Kung of Switzerland would beat Chong Wong Matt. Well, appalling. I can't explain Terrible. myself. Uh, what was the other tournament we didn't cover? It was Casper Ruud winning oh, yeah. in winning in Buenos Aires. That's his first big win, isn't it? Of yeah, his the first tournament. title, and he's now he's now overtaken his dad, Christian. Christian, Rude, who I who for a, for a career high ranking. Showing how old I am, I remember being on the tour with him <laughs> in the nineties, late nineties. But oh. February is one of those times where I, I believe there are more. ATP and WTA events in February than any other month. I think of February as a bit of a slight down period for tennis after the Australian Open, before Indian Wells, Miami. But actually, 
it's just you're just bombarded with these tournaments. There's just three every but, week, but none on the of it ATP fits side. into a, any an sort arc. of narrative. It's yeah. uh, it's like second Monday of Wimbledon. It's too much. All over the shop. Yeah, I, Rio is happening this week. I presume Dominic Team is there. He is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Okay. I, I don't think Team should be losing a match on clay this year to anyone other than Nadal. Agreed. Cool, oh dear. That's, and it, that seems that's a bit harsh. That, but. No, I mean, surprises can happen, but surprises he, be. can happen. he should be but he's, very disappointed with any clay court losses to not Nadal. The fact that he's never won a Masters on clay, see, I mean, I know Nadal sweeps them all, but there's been a, there's been one or two ways beaten Nadal and then not won the Masters event. I, yeah. think, I think now he needs to... I, th- I think that shows how things have changed with this era of domination by these players, though, because, you know, when I remember back to the 90s and the 2000s where you had clay court specialists and there were a pool of them and you know they until Nadal came along there were loads of winners there were some multiple winners but you didn't go into any clay court season thinking one player mm-hmm. would dominate let alone two like that and I, and I think of the guys that have been battling out these these tournaments and Christian Garin and Guido Pella and all these sort of players from either Spain or Argentina or wherever it might be who are comfortable on clay that's where I would have my doubts that team is just going to be able to sweep all before him but you're saying you think he should be able to I think he should be able to I think he's I think he's ready now for to to step into that role as absolutely the guy who's winning clay court tournaments if it's not Nadal Mm, very interesting okay well we'll keep our eyes open for that and uh, we'll be back next week to tell you how we've seen all of that unfold uh, and to cover off Kleisters and to cover off everything else uh, that goes on over the course of the next week because Dubai is a fantastic tournament uh, as well that uh, is still in the same match as when we started this podcast Denisimova and Stritzfer Stritzfer is even more tanned than she was an hour ago <laughs> she, she is ridiculous it's quite warm out there and, and I should say that there's, there's not this week a WTA event in Hungary mm. which oh, yes. has been a, a bit of a controversy stephanie miles has done a lot of the reporting on this and basically what what seems to have happened is that they it's meant to be in budapest and they couldn't secure the venue they then moved it to a to a city called i'm probably pronouncing this wrong but debrecen i think it is about two hours drive from budapest and they hadn't secured the venue there either and then they've had to cancel the event and it's obviously left a lot of players who had entered that event without a tournament to play that week they actually increased the size of the qualifying for dubai i think from 32 to 48 to get some right. more players in that's interesting but just it seems to have been a huge administrative cock-up really okay. um yeah. yeah that's uh it's pretty unheard of isn't yeah. it to get to a situation like that where you've got really no plan b yeah that, that is going to work be top of top of the must-haves list absolutely yes yeah. you have to have a place to play <laughs> I mean, number one, right? Yeah. Before even players to play in the yeah. event. Oh, I mean, really, dear. venue and players are the only two absolute requirements. Oh, dear. OK, well, that's that. Um, right, a bit of a long show this week, folks, an hour and a quarter. Uh, but we had a lot to get through. We had a week off. So, uh, you know, we've made the most of it and we've enjoyed it. <laughs> Don't care what you think. Um, so, no, right, we've got any shout outs, Matt? We have, yes, to Colin Brody. To Lindsay Hill and to John Carlson. Colin. Lindsay and John. 
Colin, Lindsay, and John. Thank you all for back Thank in you. the tennis podcast. Uh, you get your shout outs here on the show. Thanks, and folks. anybody else who has backed us at that level, which is basically 100 quid for the year, uh, in our December just gone Kickstarter to crowdfund the tennis podcast for a year. Thank you. You're going to be getting your shout-outs if you haven't had them yet. Those of you that are paid for an intro, you'll be getting those as well. We're, we're just organizing ourselves at the moment so you can send your intros to the show into us and we'll, we'll put those on at the start. But everybody that's supported us um, this year, thank you very much. That's what's uh, enabled Catherine and Matt to come to Melbourne. It's all the plans that we've got for the year. That's how we fund it all. So thank you. Uh, right, now, I think it's time for us to go. Um, and just to say a big thank you to our mascot, Butler, who's our wonderful dog, Catherine's face lighting up with the mere mention. <laughs> it's how I can just guarantee cheering you up. Mention Butler's great. Butler's great, yeah. I was actually, uh, I've looked at a lot of pictures of Butler this weekend because my mum is preparing her portrait oh. of him and he is majestic. Fantastic. He does good photo. Majestic butler. Yeah. Regal. Awesome. Right. Okay. Uh, So we will be back next week with another edition of the Tennis Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.